so good to be here with you tonight. As Em said, my name is Tom. I'm part of the leadership team here at this church, part of the leadership team of the 815. We lead, I lead together with Em. And it's such a privilege to be here. And as Em and Stephen said, today through all the services, we've been preaching on the same thing. Why the church is the hope of the world. But to be honest, when I first heard I was going to be preaching on this, I got a little bit clever. I have to confess that to you. I was like, well, the church isn't the hope for the world, is it? I mean, Jesus is the hope for the world. The church is a mess, right? We're, we're broken. And it's been so good to be back here today and worshipping. It's been such an amazing day across the services, across the student lunch, seeing what God has been doing in children's church as well. And God has just been breaking my heart again and just softening my heart for the church. And as I've been reading this passage this week, as I've been uh, studying Scripture, again, God has been saying to me again, the church, it's, it's my plan for the world. I love my church. I gave my life. I gave my one and only son for my church. And so tonight, what I want to say really is three things. If the church is Christ-centered, if the church is a caring community, and if we, as the church, are champions and catalysts of the kingdom of God, then the church is the hope for the world. I want to show you why it's good that we are here tonight, because probably some of you are here thinking, well, do I really need to come to church? Because it's never been easier to follow God at home, right? For years, what we all had to do, online church, Zoom church, we've got so many resources available to us. I think some people are thinking, do I really need to be here? Can I fit this into my very busy schedule? I want to show you that there's something special about meeting physically together in this place with Jesus. And finally, I want to ask, what is the impact of meeting together like this? What does it do? Where does it go? I want to show you that tonight, Jesus has a job for the church to do. So, three points, let's get into it. Have Ephesians 2 open in front of you. We're going to be bouncing around between Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. And the letter to the Ephesian church is a letter that Paul, one of the apostles, the first church leaders, is writing to one of the first churches uh, in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. He's reminding them of their origin story, how they came to be. We're going to start in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then one writer translates verse 16 as Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. And in verse 18, we find out that we have through the cross, through Jesus, access to the Father and the Spirit. Do you know that you were created by God? A three in one. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's an eternal loving relationship, who loves you so much that he wants to draw you into that eternal loving relationship. 
But our sin, our mess, our brokenness has separated us from God because he's beautiful, holy, and perfect, and we're not. And yet, he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you on a wooden cross to take away your sin, your shame, your brokenness, your mess, and to make us all right with the Father. This is our story. This is the truth that we carry as a church. And it's what we celebrate. We've been made right with God. And because we've been made right with God, we're able to come close to each other and become a community. Not only that, but as Josh read to us, we're no longer strangers because we're all part of the family of God. That's what it says in verse 19. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens and members of the household. You're part of the family now. Together, we're family. You've been adopted. You are in. This family of God is the church. Those people who recognize Jesus as who he is. In verse 20, it says that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the key cornerstone. Let me explain. I'm going to briefly go over some stuff that Simon was saying this morning, if you're in the 10 or the 12. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? My followers, who do you say that I am? And Peter, one of the disciples, who's as messed up as they come, says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. He recognizes Jesus for who he is. And do you know what Jesus says? He says, God the Father has revealed to you who I am, and you are Peter. And on you, on this rock, I will build my church. I want us to notice a couple of really key words here. I and my. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, right, off you go. Lots of church building for you to be doing. Better get cracking. You're going to be a very busy boy. Um, I'll supervise from my kind of celestial deck chair. I'll just watch from over here. You crack on and I'll, I'll kind of do like a, a heavenly Kevin McLeod and do a kind of grand designs and pop in every now and then and see how things are going. Give you a little bit of feedback, kind of raise my eyebrows. Oh, are you really going to do that? You're going to put that there, really? Jesus says, Peter, you're a rock. Now that's great, but a rock is a, it's quite a passive thing to be. A rock doesn't have much agency. And he says, on you, I will build my church. The church is Jesus's initiative. It's Jesus's idea. He is building. It's his project. He is the project manager. Not only that, he makes himself the key linchpin, the Jenga block that everything else rests on. Pull it out and the whole tower comes tumbling down. Verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Peter being one of them, 
with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Without Jesus as the cornerstone, the whole building falls down. The church is Jesus' idea. It's Jesus' initiative. Without him, it falls apart. Behind me, you can just about see it. We thought about lifting it here, but apparently it needs six people to lift it, and it's a bit, we thought the stage might collapse. You can just about see it. There's a stone right at the back in the left corner. That stone is over a 1,000 years old. It was found during archaeological excavation work on this site. And carved into its base are beautiful lines that show it was once part of a much bigger Celtic cross. I'll show you later if you want to go and have a look at it. It was a foundation stone of a church built here nearly 600 years ago. There have been multiple churches on this site for at least a thousand years. And I like to think that the builders who built that church on this site knew that Jesus had to be at its center, at its foundation. And that's why they literally built it on the cross. The church is the hope of the world because Jesus is the hope of the world and the church is his. That's why we worship in this place. One of the key purposes of the church is to recognize who God is, recognize him as the center of our lives. Remember that he gave his only son to be the foundation of all that we are. The king is the reason that we sing. The church is the hope of the world because it is centered on Christ. It is Christ-centered. Okay, we've established that. Why do we meet together? Verse 23, in him, sorry, 21, 22 and 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Just as Jesus is the foundation stone, each of us is a brick in the wall. But a brick on its own is just a brick. A brick itself cannot give shelter. Bricks become a building when they're put together. Here it says that together we are built up as a holy temple that God lives in, that God inhabits. The Bible is full of these together images to describe the church. Jesus says, you are the vine and I am the branches. I'm the head, you are the body. But if there's no vine, the branches die. If there's no head, the body doesn't last long. Tim's a doctor, he'll tell you that. Um, a vine with only one branch is pretty lame. And a building with one brick is just a brick. We need each other. I know that for some of you, the church may have hurt you in the past. This church may have hurt you in the past. And that's because it's full of broken people like me and like you. But we've been made into something beautiful by the transformative work and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We need you. 
We need each other. If the first purpose of the church is to worship, the second is to nurture and care for one another and build one another up as we are built together into a beautiful building for God to inhabit. Together, we are the body of Christ. Together, we are his bride. The church is the hope of the world because it is a community of people who are seeking to bless one another, to build one another up, a caring community. So, church is the hope of the world because it is Christ-centered and a caring community. But that's why the church is the hope for our individual world and our world together as a church. What about the world? The world around us, the world outside of these walls. Firstly, I think we need to redefine our idea of church. For some of you, church is a building, but we've already seen it's so much more than that. Some of you have been grown up taught, being taught that the church isn't the building, it's the people, which is true. But it's more than that too. For some of you, the 815, this service might be church. This might be home, but we're part of this bigger church called St. Aldate's. That's the church. But it's more than that. It's not just this church. There are hundreds of groups of people across this city, thousands across this nation, millions around the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation who meet just like we're doing now to worship God, to read the Bible and to pray. Simon was saying this morning that almost a third of the world is Christian. And that one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is in Afghanistan. Pray for the church in Afghanistan. Pray for the church where she's been persecuted. That's the church. But it's more even than that. Again, we've already heard that people have been worshipping on this site for a thousand years and that the first church was founded a thousand years before that. All of this has come from this first conversation that Jesus had with Peter. We're all part the same family. The church is all this and more. It is the people of God, all those who are part of his family, all those alive or dead who say Jesus is Lord at all times and in all places. The church is the Father's initiative, pioneered by the Son, empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. We're a part of that church that is 2,000, if we're part of a 2,000 year old story, that is the church. The church is way bigger than we realize. And yet, the church is also this group of people right here tonight in this room. So what does all this mean for us? Why are we here? If the church's first purpose is to worship, and her second is to nurture, her third is to reach out. William Temple, uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, briefly a lecturer here in Oxford, said the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. In the next chapter of Ephesians, Paul tells them that his role and their role as Christians as the church is to make known the mystery of Christ to everyone. 
if we fully grasp that Jesus is Lord, if we fully understand what he has done for us on the cross, we want to tell other people about it. Not only that, but we want to play our part in transforming the society around us to be more like him and to bring his kingdom. We have people in this church, in this community, who are part of the development of the Oxford vaccine. We have others who founded B Corps to develop drugs to fight bacterial infections. We have doctors, nurses, social workers, teachers, business people, academics, fitness instructors, speech and language therapists, engineers, administrators, everybody doing all kinds of jobs. Parents all seeking to worship God through their work and play their part in the transformation of society. Christians have been part of some of the most significant social enterprises through history, the hospice movement, education, uh, the abolition of slavery, prison reform. The church doesn't always get it right. But when Jesus is at our center, when the people of God are nurtured to maturity, oh my goodness, God can do amazing things through his people. He calls us to be champions for him in spreading the gospel and catalysts for him in every part of our lives, at home, at work, at school, at uni, wherever you are. The church is God's instrument for the renewal of all things. It is the hope for the world when it is Christ-centered, a caring community that champions him and acts as catalyst for his in-breaking kingdom. And you want to know the amazing thing. This is a sidebar. Ephesians 3.10 says, His, that's the Father's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Ephesians 3.10 and 11. Not only is the church God's plan A for showing the world who he is, as the church acknowledges Jesus as king, as the church seeks to build one another up, as the church reaches out, not only will she, through the Holy Spirit, transform the world, she will educate angels on God's plan. Read that again. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose. It has always been God's plan, his eternal plan to reveal a mystery of who he is and what he's doing, what he's done, not just to the world through the church, but to the angels through the church. What an amazing, awesome responsibility. When they see the church fulfilling her purpose, when they see us saying, Jesus, you're the king, when they see us caring for one another, when they see us telling other people about Jesus and playing our part in the renewal of all things, they say, oh God, that's amazing. It's amazing what you're doing. Your church is beautiful. We love it. What does that mean for us tonight? In Revelation there are letters to the churches and the letter to the Ephesian church says you've forgotten your first love. Even though they've had this letter that's reminded them what their purpose is, it says you've forgotten your first love. Maybe 
tonight you've forgotten your first love and you need to say again, Jesus is Lord. Or maybe you need to do that for the first time. Maybe you want to become a part of this family and the much greater family of God. Maybe you need to say yes to the church again. Maybe you need to fall in love with the church again to recommit yourself to God's plan A, Jesus' plan A for the transformation of the world. If that's hard for you because the church has hurt you, we would love to pray for you. Or maybe tonight you want to say, I'm all in. I want to play my part. I'm ready to go. We'd love to pray for you if that's what you want to commit to tonight. Whether that's this church or another church. We love the churches in our city. The church is the hope of the world. It is God's plan A. Get on board. Get involved. Worship with your whole heart. Get nurtured. Say yes to Jesus and be a part of his plan to change the world. Amen.